0: Good, good. Well, my name is Mike, and at Genesis, we believe in having open doors and open hearts. And so I hope that when you walked in tonight that you felt comfortable and invited. And I also hope that you came with an open heart because we have prayed and prepared for you. And so we are glad that you're here. Tonight, before before we get started, we do have one, um, one kind of surprise for you guys, okay? Um, so it, t- just take a second and look under your chair. And one of you has a note card on it. I don't know which seat it's under. It might be the one seat someone didn't sit in. Yeah, under the chair. Emily, do you remember which chair you put her? You got it? No, that's okay. All right, what does it say on there? Winner. Okay. All right, what is your name? Maddie. Okay, well, Maddie, congratulations. You just won tickets to the fair for you and a friend. Okay? Yes. So, enjoy that. Uh, Just, um, obviously, we know each other now. So, after service, the tickets for you are in the back. So, let's give it up for Maddie winning tickets to the fair. That's Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, so tonight we are concluding our series, You Asked for It. Uh, we're, you know, it's been an incredible month. Where we've taken submitted questions from you guys. And so I'm excited to, to finish this series out strong. The, the four questions that we have answered so far have been What is God's will for my life? Uh, that was a big one. How do I know when I'm ready to date? That was a fun one. How do I know the voice of God? And then last week was why do bad things happen to good people? And so tonight's question to finish this series is this. How do I know I'm saved? How do I know I'm saved? And that question might be one of the the biggest, probably the biggest uh, question of the month, um, mainly because it affects not just our life on earth, but also our eternity. And so we're going to answer this question thoroughly as we have been, but as a disclaimer and this will come as no shock to you but I am not God and so I can't speak for your standing with God or where you stand as an individual um, b- between you and God but what we can do is give a good look at salvation and uh, you can begin to see for yourself where you stand um, and so we're going to we're going to paint the problem to, to get going tonight and then we're going to see what scripture has to say about it so if you would, pray with me, and then we will jump in. God, I thank you so much uh, for tonight. God, I thank you for every single person here tonight. God, I thank you that, that every single person in a seat is a soul and a story. And, uh, God, you have them here tonight for a reason. And so, God, I pray that you speak to us from your word. God, I pray that your voice will be louder than my own tonight. In Jesus' name, we all said together, amen. amen. Awesome. So, the, uh, the actual wording of this question when it was submitted on the, the note card phrased this question like this. They said, how can you rest in knowing you're saved and fight against doubt? And, and I completely understand that question, right? We've all we've all been there before, I'm sure. When, when doubt uh, starts to creep into our faith and we start to question if we're really saved, right? The, the what if questions, that thought of have I done enough or the opposite of have I done too much, right? And so that can be hard to, to deal with and to experience. And so I think some of that stems from the, the world that we live in and, and how we know life can be, right? Life is so volatile. The, the world is so volatile. Things can change in an instant. There are very few guarantees in life. And so a lot of times, myself included, we take that, per, that perception and we just kind of superimpose it onto our salvation or our right standing with God. And, and when we do that, we start living our life like we're playing this, this big game of spiritual bingo, all right? You guys are familiar with bingo? We played grocery bingo after service a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, so when we got, you know, you got bingo, you're able to take a grocery item off the, the table, and it was a blast. Like, people were fighting over certain items, getting frustrated that they weren't winning bingo, you know, and, you know, they're watching the item that they want to get taken. Mary wanted the toothpaste, AJ got the toothpaste, and so they had to come to some compromise. Dylan Alford was getting so mad because he hadn't even won a game of bingo yet. And, uh, and so, yeah, it, it, was, it was a good time. And, uh, and we know how bingo works, right? You, you have a, a scorecard, and when you hear the, the number and the letter called, if that is on your scorecard, you get to cross it off. And if you get a row, you get bingo, right? And I'm not saying we always do this intentionally, but a lot of times we approach our salvation in the same way. Right? We, we think that there's this scorecard of different spiritual deeds, and when we do them, we get to cross it off and hope that we get all of the right ones. Like, okay, so I read my Bible today. I prayed today. I listened to some worship music today. I didn't cuss out my coworker today. I honored my parents today. I didn't tell any lies today. And so we're putting all of this effort into completing bingo that we may have slipped into a works-based salvation, which can also cause us to start looking over it the scorecards next to us and either we think, dang, they're not doing very well, or we think, man, I could never catch up. How is that possible, right? And this is where the doubt starts to creep in. The thought of, I haven't done enough. I don't have enough chips on my scorecard. When in reality, when Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, died the death we deserved, and rose again to give give us eternal life, he won bingo for us. All right, So so the truth for you tonight to, to get this started is we start to doubt our salvation when we start to think that we're the ones doing the saving. I'll say that again. We start to doubt our salvation when we start to think that we're the ones doing the saving. One of the scariest parts of scripture, and if you've been around church or are familiar with the Bible, you might have heard of this before. In Matthew 7, where Jesus says, Many of you will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name, right? And, G- and Jesus, like he said, he'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And obviously that, that part of scripture scares the literal hell out of a lot of people. And, and this, was, this was brought to my attention the, the other day, and I had never thought about this before. But what is the, what is the problem with what Jesus says that these people will say? Didn't I cast out demons? Didn't I prophesy? Didn't I do mighty works? Didn't I go to church? Didn't I read my Bible? Didn't I say that prayer when I was five? Didn't I vote Republican, right? Didn't I, you know, honor my parents? Didn't I do these things? Well, the problem with these statements is in who they point back to. They point back to me, 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 expecting because of the things that I did, I should be saved. When instead, we should be saying, Jesus, you lived, A perfect life for me. You died the death that I deserved. You gave me eternal life. You defeated the grave. All I contributed to this was the sin that made it necessary. And so when it comes to our salvation, it is God's doing and not ours. And so the pressure of earning it is off. Our good works don't lead to salvation, but our salvation does lead to good works. And the Apostle Paul writes about this a lot in his letters, that we are saved by grace through faith, but we are to work out our salvation. That our salvation is secured by God, but we are then in turn called to act on it. And so that's how we're going to approach answering this question, by identifying the two pillars that are evidence of our salvation. And so if you would turn to Romans chapter 5, and while you're turning there, I'm going to get a drink of water really quick. Sorry about that. So I do want to mention that assurance of salvation is uh, something that's talked about throughout Scripture and in a lot of different places. Uh, But this portion of verses that we're going to talk about tonight helps us the most for tonight's purposes. Um, And also keep in mind, when Scripture was originally written, there were no chapter numbers, no verse numbers. It was all written as one piece. And so when we read tonight, we're actually going to move from Romans 5 into Romans 6 and kind of read it that way. So in these verses, we're going to see the the two pillars that are the evidence of salvation. And those two pillars are faith and fruit. Faith and fruit. Faith is what we believe. Fruit, how we live. Okay, so to get this going, we'll talk about faith first. So this is Romans 5, 1 through 11. And it will be on the screen if you don't have your Bible or your phone. All right, Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have now received reconciliation. And so to summarize this chunk of scripture, it's about 12 verses there. Paul says that we have been justified by faith and that by faith we have been given access to the grace of God. And that's because that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so if God did that for us while we were still sinners, how much more will he do for us now that we have been reconciled to him? And that word justified gets thrown around a lot, justified by faith, grace through faith. And you might wonder what that means or you may have an idea of what it means. A good way to think about justification or being justified is this. Being justified is it's just as if it never happened or it's just as if I'd always obeyed. And uh, I'll continue to explain that with a a story. A few years ago at Genesis, we did a, a fundraiser for College Park Middle Uh, College Park Middle School students, and uh, it started from something that I had read online that said a, a big problem in public schools were overdue lunch balances, and so basically depending on a student's situation, they could qualify for what's called free and reduced lunch, and so the state pays for their lunch because their parents can't afford it, and so you might be familiar with how this works. Well, the issue is a lot of times for for various reasons, the, the parents have difficulty getting the paperwork in or the approval process takes a while. And so in the meantime, the kids are going to school and they're getting lunch and they're racking up these charges because they haven't been approved for free and reduced lunch. And so they rack up these charges. The parents can't afford to pay the balance. And the balance actually stays with them all the way through high school. And in worst-case scenarios, their diploma is withheld from them. They're not allowed to graduate if the balance isn't paid. And so we had a relationship with College Park Middle already. And so I, I asked someone if they had experienced that problem there. And he said yes. And so we raised some money. And we were actually able to pay off the balances of 90 students, which is great. Yeah, that's awesome. But the school got the opportunity to then call up these families and tell them, hey, the balance has been paid. You don't have to worry about paying it anymore. That's what justification is. The the school now says we will operate as if that debt never was there. That debt will operate as if that debt never happened. In the same way, God justifies us. By sending his son for us, that was like God's way of calling us up and saying, hey, that debt that you owe, I know you can't pay it, and so I'm going to pay it for you. It's going to be as if that debt was never there. That's justification by faith. And it wasn't just for the the sins already committed or the debt already racked up. It covered all future sin. And so to take it a step further, College Middle announced last school year that every student now gets lunch, free and reduced lunch. They don't have to qualify anymore. There will be no more debts. And so that's what the cross did. Jesus didn't take uh, take on the wrath of God for all previous sins. He took on the wrath of God for all future sins as well. Our faith in him, our belief in him justifies us completely. As Paul continues, we see that it had Nothing to do with us. He says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait until we were picture perfect or Instagram ready to send his son. He did it while we were still a mess so that there is no way that we could ever say that we did something to earn it. And so when it comes to the assurance of salvation, you need to know that if you didn't earn it in the first place, it can't be taken away from you. If you didn't earn it, you can't lose it. It's not ours to give and take away. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's a confession of faith in Jesus that brings that salvation. I love this quote by Greg Gilbert. He says this. He says, faith is not believing in something you can't prove, as so many people define it. It is, biblically speaking, reliance, a rock-solid, truth-grounded, promise-founded trust in the risen Jesus to save you from sin. As Paul continues further in chapter 5, we see him... Just to kind of summarize this into, as we move into chapter 6. We see him contrast Jesus with Adam, who was, you know, the, the first man ever created. And he says that through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, or death entered the world. But through another one man, Jesus, life and grace and righteousness and forgiveness of sin entered the world. He says one trespass led to condemnation, but also one act of righteousness led to life for all of us. as we move into chapter 6... We see Paul bring up a question that many of us have probably thought before. And uh, that will kind of move us into the second half of this equation, the the, the fruit side of this. And so this is Romans 6, 1 through 14, another big chunk, chunk of scripture, so hang with me. 6, 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. But the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And so Paul asks this question at the very start of the chapter. Like I said, one we may have thought before. Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? In other words, because our debt has already been paid, because of God's grace, can we go on sinning? Does it matter what we do? if we're already forgiven. What we see here is yes, it definitely matters what we do. And that's the other side of the equation, right? The, the, the fruit side, the side of how we live our life. The other way we can be assured, the other way that you can be assured that you are saved is when you walk away from sin, right? R- repentance is a lifestyle of walking away from sin or turning away from sin. Repentance is a watermark on the life of a Christian. It should be the way that we live our life, We don't keep sinning so that grace can abound. We are dead to sin and alive in Christ. As Paul says, we have been crucified with Christ so that sin may be brought to nothing. He says it shouldn't reign over our lives and we be instruments of sin. We should instead be instruments of righteousness. And so here's the tension, right? You might be thinking, well, or maybe you've thought before, why then do I have to repent of my sin if works don't save me? If, If works don't save me, why do I have to repent of my sin? When you give your life to Christ and you make that confession of faith, the Holy Spirit begins to dwell within you. He gives you the desire to live better, hence the fruit of the Spirit. He gives you a desire to obey God. And so if you are truly saved by faith, you will turn from sin. You will repent, not because you have to, but because you want to. The Spirit gives you the desire to do so. And the one thing I did want to point out, there is a difference between effort and earning. There's a difference between effort and earning. Striving to be like Jesus, spending time with God in your day, prioritizing worship and prayer, those are efforts made in your walk with Christ. But that doesn't mean that by doing those things, you're earning your salvation. Those things are an overflow of the salvation that already exists. It's like if I was on an NBA team, okay? I know that's hard to believe. It's like if I was on an NBA team. I'm going to use them because their season just started. But let's say I'm on the Toronto Raptors. Okay, anybody know a Toronto Raptor fan? Probably not. We're in Charleston, not Canada, right? <sighs> well, let's say I'm on the Toronto Raptors and it's game time and I've got my jersey on and my sweatbands and my Nikes. Y'all can picture that. <laughs> but for some reason, instead of being with the team... I'm up in the stands at Scotiabank Arena just hanging out with all the fans, right, with my jersey on. No one is going to believe I'm on the rafters because I blend in with all the people that aren't on the rafters, right? But the second I step on the court, it removes all doubt that I am on the team. It distinguishes me from those who are not on the team. Seeing the fruit of your salvation is an indicator that you are saved, When you begin to act on your salvation, you stop blending in with the world and you start looking like Christ. Your desires begin to be transformed. We begin to hate sin and love righteousness. Not that you don't ever sin, not that you don't ever mess up, but that pattern of habitual sin in your life is altered. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, and I love this. He says, if I'm a field that contains nothing but grass, I cannot produce wheat. Cutting the grass may keep it short. But I shall still produce ga- uh, g- gas. <laughs> but I still produce grass, and not and no wheat. He said, "If I want to produce wheat, the change must go deeper than the surface. I must be plowed up and re-sown. And that's what God does when He saves us. He forgives us of all of our sin, and then begins a process of uprooting the sin in our life and replanting His desires, replanting His ways in its place." That's a process called sanctification. We talked about justification. That's a one-time deal. You are justified by the blood of Jesus. You are saved by faith. But then comes sanctification. And that is an ongoing process throughout your life of being made more like Christ. It's the fruit of our salvation. It's evidence that we're saved. And so I want to ask you, is there any evidence of salvation in your life? If not, it may be time to turn from sin and towards God. And so if you want to remove the doubt that you feel about your salvation, I can tell you two things tonight. One, trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Confess and believe that what he did on the cross was enough to save you from your sin and that he is the only way to eternal life, that there is no other name by which you can be saved. And two, repent of your sin. Step away from the sin in your life and turn towards God. Draw a line in the sand. Make a decision tonight to turn, to turn from your sin from this day forward And pursue after God with all that you've got. In the book of Romans, Paul would actually go on to say, how can they believe if they've never heard? Now you've heard. You have the opportunity to do so. We're about to move into a a time of communion. It's an act of remembrance of this body and blood of Jesus that saved us. And the bread represents the body broken. The juice represents the blood that was shed for us by taking communion, we acknowledge that it's only by that body and blood that we've been saved. But before we go into the time of communion, I want to leave you with this thought. My son Sammy just turned a year old on Saturday. Turned a year old, and he has become a lot of fun. And the experts say that when babies are born or when you and I are born, that we are born with only two fears. We are born with the fear of loud noises, and we are born with the fear of falling. And so sometimes when he is up high... Such as like going down the stairs, he gets scared because he's born with that fear of falling, that instinctual fear of falling. We have these bar stools in our kitchen, and uh, one day I, I I I sat him on the bar stool to see what he would do. And to him, that's high up. Okay, I put him on the bar stool, and he immediately got really nervous. And he's like looking down at the ground. He's moving around. He doesn't know really what to do about it, and he starts to fall off the bar stool. And so I catch him. He starts laughing. So I put him back on the bar stool. What does he do? He jumps off. I put him back on. He jumps back off. Put him back on. He jumps off. Why does he do that? Because he knows that I'm going to catch him. He jumps because he knows that he doesn't have to catch himself. Tonight, it may be time for some of y'all to finally jump. It may be time for you to finally jump off the bar stool. Don't worry about catching yourself. God's going to do that. That is his job. So when you come up here and you take communion tonight, when you come take a piece of bread, when you dip it in the juice and you eat, when you're done, if you want to make that decision tonight, now that you've heard, if you want to make that decision tonight to follow Jesus fully for the first time, I would encourage you, after you take communion, we're gonna have some people in the back for you to go pray with. If you have questions, if you wanna make that decision, if you just need generic prayer over your life, there's gonna be male and female people back there for you to pray with. And so we're all gonna stand up. It's not gonna be awkward for you. We're gonna be singing. Everyone else is gonna be taking communion. If you wanna make that decision tonight, if you wanna finally jump, if you wanna finally draw that line in the sand, tonight is your opportunity. Don't leave here without taking the opportunity. You've now heard. The ball is now in your court. I'm going to go invite the band to come back up. If you would, go ahead and stand with me. We're going to pray. And I would encourage you tonight also, if you are assured of your salvation in here tonight, during this moment, pray for those of of us who, who are in here that are not assured of our salvation. And pray for God to reveal himself to them tonight. Pray with me. God, I thank you so much for this story, this writing of Paul. God, that shows us that we are justified by faith. It's, a, it's just as if we had always obeyed. The blood of Jesus covers us. We are one time by faith, saved. But we also begin this process of sanctification. This repentance of sin, where we go from turning one direction to turning around and running another direction, running from our sin towards you, running from death into life. And so God, I pray for every person in this room tonight that by the time they walk out, that they would be assured of their salvation. That they would get tired of sitting on the fence. they would get tired of not having their minds made up, and they would make that decision tonight to jump, knowing that you're going to catch them. They don't have to catch themselves. They don't have to play spiritual bingo anymore. You've done the work. All it takes is faith. God, we love you, and we thank you for the sacrifice of your son that makes all of this possible that is powerful enough to save every single person in this room, to save every single family member of the people in this room. And so whatever it may be tonight, God, whatever you may be pulling on the heartstrings of these people, God, I pray that none of us would leave here questioning if we believe in you and what you did for us. In Jesus' name, amen.